just want to share a few thoughts of reflections on the resurrection. And actually, this morning, what has been going through my mind a lot is the 20 plus years that I've been in ministry. And the one thing that is probably the most heartbreaking is to sit down across the table from someone who has no hope. They absolutely are hopeless. They're in a cycle of despair. They're in a cycle of defeat, discouragement, and they don't see any hope. They don't see any way possible that they could possibly change and that God could do something in their life. They're hopeless. And I think about why do they get to that point? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with pain. See, we live in a world full of pain. And in this room, there's a lot of pain. A lot of pain. There are people sitting here this morning who have been through broken relationships. You had a dream that you got with this person and life was going to be good. And instead, it turned out sour. The relationship dissolved. That's painful. It's hopeless. You feel like it's hopeless. Or maybe you had a parent when you were a child walk out on you and that was the last you saw of your parent. Or maybe you had a child unexpectedly die. I know a number of years ago, I'll never forget somebody coming into the office on a Sunday afternoon to tell me that their son took his life. And I wondered what had gone on in his heart that he got to the point where there was no hope, that he had crossed the line and there was no more hope. I remember hearing a man driving down the highway, and as he was driving down the highway, he saw words spray-painted on an overpass of a bridge, and it said, I just can't take it anymore. The pain was too great. And there are a lot of people dealing with pain, hurt, disappointment, problems. There are some people who have wrestled and wrestled and told God a thousand times, I'm going to stop doing this. And they're still stuck in that same habit, that same addiction that keeps defeating them over and over and over there are other people who are dealing with depression. They don't even want to get their head off the pillow in the morning. It's like, what's the point? Just to be disappointed again. What's the point? Other people dealing with anger. They're ready to explode. They're angry at everybody. They're angry at work. They're angry with their neighbors. They're angry with family. They're angry at life, the way life has been doled out to them. Others are buried in debt. It's like they don't see the light of day. Got so much debt. Others have family issues. There's so many relationships in their family that are out of control. Life is out of control. Then we compound that with global issues, right? Nuclear threats, wars, racial tensions. We have gender confusion in our world today. People want to pick their own gender. 
We want to redefine marriage. We want to reconstruct the family. That all spells hopelessness. But where does that stem from? It stems from a lack of understanding that the God of the universe sent his only son to the earth to die so that you and I could have hope. Let me read you a verse of scripture from 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, the reason we preach the resurrection of Christ is because that is the only hope this world has. Your situation is not beyond hope if you turn to the resurrected Christ. Your pain is not beyond healing if you turn to the resurrected Christ. Your addiction is not beyond victory if you turn to the resurrected Christ. He is the one who can deliver. He is the one who can heal. He is the one who restores broken relationships and heals. I remember working with a couple who came into my office a number of years ago. They had four children. They had been married about 20 years, and they said, we're calling it quits. He was upstairs. She was downstairs. They called me. She said, he's got a suitcase. He's packing, and I'm helping him. Hopeless. I went over and talked with them for about four hours. They were believers. I said, wait a minute. Is God big enough for your marriage or not? Because I think he is. But you need to decide. And what do you want to teach your children? Do you want to teach your children that God is big enough for your marriage or not? And I'm thankful that they worked it out. God was able to reconcile that relationship. And I know that doesn't happen every time because it takes two people. And yet God can still heal from the brokenness of divorce as well. He is able to do that. But the living hope that we have is through this resurrected Christ. It is the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen just like he said. And because of that empty tomb, we have the hope of eternal life. Some people say, well, how could the tomb be empty? Where's the body? Jesus was not there. It says that the resurrection of Christ is an historical fact because he was seen by more than 500 people. For 40 days, over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. And they never did produce a body. And all they had to do was produce a body and say, here's the body. And it's never happened. Fifty days after Jesus was risen from the dead, Peter preaches Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. He talks about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. The hope that there is in Jesus Christ. When we see a different Peter from the resurrected Christ from before he was resurrected. Peter was a coward. He denied Christ, and now he's up defending Christ, proclaiming Christ. Why? Why was Peter so bold after? Because of the resurrection of Christ. He was resurrected. 
Jesus was not there. The women went to the tomb to complete the burial procedures. Some say, well, they simply made a mistake. They went to the wrong tomb. Really? He wasn't in this public place where there was a bunch of cemeteries. He was in a private burial. I think they knew where he was buried. Also, the women came back and told Peter and John that Jesus was gone. Peter and John run to the tomb. Did they go to the wrong tomb as well? Broad daylight? I think they knew where he was at. They didn't make the same mistake. Peter and John also saw the empty grave clothes. So where's the body? The grave clothes are here. Where's the body? The body was gone. The grave clothes barely disturbed. The body was gone. Also, there was a guard placed at the tomb. The Romans and Jews obviously knew where the body was located. And they would have produced the body once the resurrection stories began. Also, as I mentioned, the post-resurrection appearances. The empty tomb is a visual reminder of the resurrection. That Jesus was indeed resurrected. You see, because the enemy's chief ambition was to keep the body in the tomb. That's why they placed the big stone there, and not only placed the stone there, they sealed the stone. Because they didn't want the body to get out. Because they were afraid somebody would come and steal it, and then they would produce the story. So the guards were there. They were trained guards. There's no way they could have moved that heavy stone and removed the body. Then other people say, well, maybe it was just hallucinations. He didn't really rise from the dead. They were just hallucinating. Really, over 500 people had the same hallucination? <laughs> I don't think so. They all saw him at different times in different places over a period of 40 days. The empty tomb validates that Jesus' death on the cross made atonement for sin. It validates that, that Jesus is, in fact, God. Here's what it says in Romans 4.25. Who was delivered over, talking about Jesus, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. As long as Jesus was in the tomb, then there would be no assurance of salvation. But because the tomb is empty, we have sufficiency of his work on the cross, that it was finished, and he paid the sin debt so that you and I could have eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's something we need to consider in regard to this whole aspect. Christopher Ash, in a little book called Zeal Without Burnout, in the early pages of his book, he titles one chapter, A Neglected Truth. And actually, a few pages before that chapter, he calls it a very neglected truth. What is this very big neglected truth? It is this, that we are creatures of dust. You and I are dust. We need to know this and never forget it. The Bible says in Genesis 2, 7, that 
God formed man from the dust of the ground, and one day we will return back to dust. In Psalm verse 90, verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortal. God is God, and we are dust. Our bodies are mortal. They are decaying. We came from dust, and to dust we are returning. We cannot separate our bodily existence from our spiritual life. What happens to our bodies impacts our spiritual life. Dust is disintegrated matter. It's the opposite of cells and organic systems and tissue and bone and muscle. It's the exact opposite. You see, as human beings, we can walk, we can run, we can build, we can think, we can speak, we can act, we can love. But dust is disconnected particles on the ground. No life. No action, no agency, no power. It is lifeless. And the Bible says that you and I came from dust, and to dust we will return. The trouble with being strong and healthy is that you and I begin to believe we are something other than dust into which God has temporarily breathed the breath of life into us. In fact, in our Western society, the life expectancy has increased a decade since 1960 to 2010. And so it's easy for us to get in our heads this notion that health and strength are normal, but it's not. I can still remember when my grandfather was in his 70s and early 80s. We used to go bowling together, fishing together, great relationship with my grandfather. But his body deteriorated, and he could no longer do those things. He no longer had the strength. He no longer had the capacity to do that. And before, he could do all those things. The truth of the matter is we're all heading toward a destiny of dust. This body is going to decease. It's going to die. But the Bible says, after this, the judgment. The judgment. That God has prepared a judgment for every one of us. And it's not something we like to think about. Talk about dust around the dining room table. It's not a very popular topic. But the reality is we push it out of our minds. We put on creams to make us think we're going to last longer. We go to the gym. We work out. But the strength is going to disappear one day. And we're going to return to dust. And then what? This is where the hope of the resurrection comes in because I'm returning to dust. But because Jesus was resurrected, you and I can be resurrected. The Bible says if we have been united with him in his death, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead and he came to bring us hope. You may have walked in here this, this morning with little hope of changing. Saying, oh, no, cycle of despair, pain, problems. The phone rings, there's another problem. The school calls, there's another problem. The bill, bill collector calls, there's another problem. And it's problem upon problem upon problem. But Jesus died 
because he is God and we are not. Our lives are unmanageable apart from Jesus Christ. And that's why he died. There is no hope of a body just returning to dust back to the ground apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. That was God's promise to us. We have that promise from Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. While we do, as I mentioned, it is healthy and wise for us to consider the end of our lives. Whether you are young or old, God is going to one day say, return to dust, child of Adam. We don't know when God is going to speak those words to our individual lives, but we do know that when God says those words, we will return to dust. And that will be it. The Bible tells us that all the days ordained for us were written in God's book before one of them came to be. All of our days were ordained by God. So we are all moving toward an eternal destiny. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. If it was only that we were going to die, and that was the appointment, but those three little words, after, but after this, there is an after this. There is a judgment coming. And what are you basing your eternal destiny on? Most people say, well, I'm a good person. Jesus didn't need to die if we were good enough. He died because no one is good enough. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. No one is righteous. No one is worthy. So Jesus came. He shed his blood. He died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And on the third day, he rose from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. If you are here today and you are feeling hopeless, maybe because of the pain in your life, the problems in your life, the cycle of defeat in your life, I have good news. Jesus died for you to give you hope. Change is possible not by yourself, but through the power of God. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God is the one who gives us strength to make changes in our life. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Do you want to become a new creation? Do you want to have the hope that only comes from Jesus Christ in your life? You can pray right in your seat and say, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I have disobeyed your law, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, shed his blood so that I could be forgiven. And I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. It takes courage to do that. 
But if you'll give your life to Christ, he will come inside you and live inside of you and give you a brand new life. He'll give you a clean heart, a clean slate. And if you pray that prayer, would you be willing to share that with me after the service as I greet people at the back door? Would you say today, on this Easter Sunday, I invited Christ into my life to be my Savior and Lord. And we would like to help you grow. We can give you resources. We can meet with you to help you grow in your Christian journey. Or maybe you're still searching and the whole thing, you know, you're like, it sounds kind of good, but I'm a little confused about it. It doesn't quite make sense to me yet. I would love to sit down with you and share with you more out of God's word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. If you are willing, God wants to heal your heart more than you want to be healed. And I've learned one other thing in ministry, that people will not change until they realize that the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same. You see, one of the lies of Satan is it's easier to stay where I'm at. It's less painful. And as long as you believe that, you'll stay where you are. But if you believe that God can heal your pain and he can help you step out of your denial, he will help you have a brand new start. He'll give you a brand new life. So if you're here this morning, I invite you to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Make him a part of your life. And would you share that with me so we can help you grow? We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.